0: Jussie Smollett is arrested for being the perpetrator of his own race hate crime, a Coast Guard lieutenant is arrested after pursuing a massive terror plot, and the world awaits the Mueller report. I'm Ben Shapiro this is the Ben Shapiro show. Oh man, there is so much to get to today. We have all the updates on the Jussie Smollett case. We have a fantastic update on the so fresh, so face AOC. We now know that she lives, I kid you not, in a luxury apartment that does not have any affordable housing in it. Oh, no. Why is this any shock? It shouldn't be a shock because Congress is going to Congress. These folks, they're not great. <laughs> they're not sending their best. And this is why I'm a big believer in calling a convention of states where we, the people, can propose amendments. Yes, amendments that could force, for example, term limits on Congress and make them balance the budget. We've got to stop these idiots before it is too late. Can you imagine the look? on the faces of these Congress people when they realize that millions of people are getting on board and preparing to kick them out of their forever offices, that would be pretty amazing. It is time to remind politicians that these offices belong to the people and also that the budget ought to be balanced. You don't get to live off the paychecks of the future. Calling a convention of states is the only way to get the job done realistically. There are already 3.8 million people with us on this. More every day. I know a lot of people worried about a runaway convention. That's not how this works. A runaway convention only happens if the left were to participate in the convention of states. That is not something that is likely to occur, considering that it is pretty much all people on the right who are interested in shoring up the Constitution against the excesses of the left. Join me and my friend Mark Meckler. Go to conventionofstates.com ben to sign the petition today that is con- conventionofstates.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. Conventionofstates.com slash Ben and sign the petition. Let's get moving on this thing. All righty. So the breaking news this morning, Jussie Smollett, the actor from Empire, the guy who told one of the most ridiculous stories in the history of racial hoaxes, he has now been arrested. Sad trombone for Jussie Smollett. So Jussie Smollett, you will recall, told his original tale and people jumped on it. It was a modern-day lynching, according to both Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. It was something that America had to apologize for, according to a bevy of Democrats, including Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. And then every Democrat sort of just disappeared as soon as it turned out that Jesse Smollett was hoaxing the entire time. They threw a smoke bomb and the, on the floor, like Joe Bluth, and then just ran away and said, It's an illusion, Michael. It was pretty amazing. So, Jesse Smollett has now been arrested, and the latest is that Jussie Smollett is really bad at this. So Jussie Smollett, apparently a mediocre actor, mediocre to good actor from from what we've heard. It turns out he's a better actor than a writer. So he is not going to get his writer guild card anytime soon. The only thing that he wrote properly was the check to the people who are actually supposed to commit the racial hoax. Yes, I kid you not. Jussie Smollett personally wrote and signed a check to the two men who then carried out the fake racial beating against Jussie Smollett. The only thing that he was missing was a for-the-hoax notation in the, <laughs> the what-for line on, on the check. According to CBS Local, accusing him of slapping the city in the face, Chicago police announced Thursday that Empire actor Jussie Smollett had been charged with concocting an attack in Streeterville because he was, quote, dissatisfied with his salary. Now, that's fascinating. In and of itself, that is really fascinating. Here's the CPD superintendent, Eddie Johnson, saying this was all about Jussie Smollett trying to boost his own pay rate.
1: Smollett attempted to gain attention by sending a false letter that relied on racial, homophobic, and political language. When that didn't work, Smollett paid $3,500 to stage this attack and drag Chicago's reputation through the mud in the process. And why? This stunt was orchestrated by Smollett because he was dissatisfied with his salary. So he concocted a story about being attacked.
0: Notice the implicit, the implicit truth of Smollett's rationale for the attack. If it turned out that he got away with it, if he was seen as a victim of a terrible, terrible hate crime hoax, that wasn't a hoax, if he'd been seen as a victim of a hate crime, if he had been able to get away with claiming that two white men found him on a Chicago street, shouted racial and, eth- and, and ethnic and, and stereotypically sexual orientation slurs at him, and then beat him, roped him around the neck, threw bleach on him while shouting, this is MAGA country, Smollett's assumption was it would have raised his salary in Hollywood. You know why he was making that assumption? Because it's true. It's the only part of anything that Smollett did that is true. It is absolutely true that if Jussie Smollett had been seen as the victim of a terrible, terrible hate crime on the mean streets of Chicago at 2 a.m. in a polar vortex in which he still held on to his Subway sandwich, it is true that his salary would have been increased. He would have gotten movie roles because this is the way our society works. If you are seen to be a victim, then you will earn more money. This is why all those folks out there who say believe all women or believe all victims or believe all race crime victims, you can't believe all anyone because there is in fact incentive to lie in today's day and age. People keep saying, well, why would such and such lie? Oh, I don't know. How about for the increased salary? How about for the fact that nobody had heard of Jussie Smollett unless you were a watcher of Empire? Until like two weeks ago. How about the fact that Jesse Smollett appeared on Good Morning America with Robin Roberts where she presented him with fawning treatment over a fake race crime. There is absolutely incentive in the United States to fake this sort of stuff, which means that you need evidence before you jump on the it certainly happened bandwagon, which is what the entire media did. And as I say, the best part of this is that Smollett actually personally signed the $3,500 check. Also, this just demonstrates what President Trump has said before, which is that Obviously, the immigrant the immigrant community is undercutting the labor base in the United States. I mean, obviously, he hired two Nigerian immigrants to perform this hate crime hoax at thirty five hundred dollars. I mean, imagine if he'd had to hire domestic labor, and imagine if he'd actually gone all the way and he had actually hired you know white actors (laughs) to to carry this out. Obviously, you know this this just shows that Jesse Smollett was actually complicit in the racist capitalist hierarchy of the United States using his friends, and paying them less than market wage in order to perform this race crime hoax. <laughs> anyway, the, the Chicago Police Department superintendent, he said he, he's obviously pissed off. And by the way, worth noting, he's a black guy only because we were talking about a race hoax. So this is not the Chicago PD targeting Jussie Smollett because they are racist or because they are homophobic. Here is the, the Chicago Police Department superintendent saying Chicago has been painted in a negative light.
1: To insinuate and to stage a hate crime of that nature, when he knew as a celebrity it would get a lot of attention, it's just despicable. You know, it, 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 it makes you wonder what's going through someone's mind to do something like that. So, yeah, I saw a couple of parts of it, and, and I was angered by it, to be quite honest.
0: Okay, now what's apparently taking a lot of people off inside the Chicago Police Department is that CPD is, is treating him with kid gloves even still. So apparently, one of the spokespeople for the CPD, a guy named Guglielmi, he said, quote, I know this can be difficult emotionally, and we hope he doesn't do anything terrible. We want to make this as diplomatic as possible. In the end, this is only a class four felony. He will get through this, and we want to make it as easy as possible for him to do it. But again, it is about accountability. Why do you want to make it as easy as possible for Jussie Smollett? Why? Why would you want to make it easy? It should be hard for him, because not only did he stage a a racial hoax that captivated the entire nation. Not only did he do that, not only did he slander the city of Chicago, not only did he slander Trump supporters, not only did he slander white people more generally, but he also was willing to send other people to jail. I mean, this is the part of the story people are missing. If he had carried this to its very end, then Jesse Smollett would have been testifying falsely against two white people arrested by the CPD. Imagine that the Chicago PD had arrested two white people who were in the area and Jesse Smollett had then gone and testified that those people were the ones who beat him and they had gone to jail for presumably 20 years, right, for, for a federal hate crime. Imagine that it happened, and he would have been sitting there earning his massive salary. This guy is evil. He is evil. Unless you can point me to any evidence that he is a mentally ill human being, this is an evil, evil person willing to do all of this for a few pennies more on his salary. By the way, I'm sure that this guy is in the top 1%. If he is appearing on every episode of Empire, that means that he is getting royalties. It means that he's probably being paid upwards of twenty to $30,000 an episode. And yet he, here he is trying to up his salary by presumably trying to send other people to prison falsely. They should hit him with the book. I mean, really, they, they, they should put this guy behind bars for as long as he can be behind bars. I know there are a lot of people who are feeling sympathy for Jussie Smollett today. I'm seeing it in the media. It's absurd. It's absurd. The, uh, the Chicago superintendent, he said, bogus police reports cause real harm. He said, my concern is that hate crimes will now meet publicly be met with a level of skepticism that previously didn't happen. Well, every crime should be met with the same level of skepticism, which is show me the evidence. And if there's no evidence of the crime, then we're going to have to wait to see whether evidence is finally made clear. Disorderly conduct is a class four felony. That is what they are. They're charging him with only disorderly conduct, which is shocking to me. Apparently, he could face up to one point five years in prison or face probation. For something like this, I am shocked that he is not being charged with more. Honestly, honestly. 1.5 years in prison for wasting presumably hundreds of thousands of dollars in CPD time, wasting hundreds of man hours for really being ready to bear false witness against people in order to send them to jail. It's absurd. It, it, It really is. It's really disgusting. Now, just as disgusting as all of this is the fact that there are still members of the media who are trying to cover for Jussie Smollett. I don't understand how CNN can even pretend to be objective while they have Don Lemon on this story. Don Lemon, you'll recall, he said openly that he was texting with Jussie Smollett in the middle of the story every single day. Here is Don Lemon of CNN saying just that about a week ago.
2: He has to deal with discrimination as a black man. Then on top of that, he has to be gay and he's out. Yes. And then fame. Yes. And fame is not natural. And so I knew everyone would be picking apart his story. It's not for me. That's not my concern. Right, my right, concern right, right, right. So every day, I say, I know you think I'm annoying. I can show you a text. I know you think I'm annoying you, but I just want to know, know that you're you doing. Oh,
1: okay. That you're
2: okay. Yeah. If you need somebody, you can talk to me because there's not a lot not of, of us, us. There.
1: Yeah. there. Right. Yep.
2: Sometimes he responds, sometimes he doesn't. He responds and says, you are not annoying.
0: What a hero, Don Lemon. What a hero. And that's what journalism is all about, isn't it? Reaching out to people who participate in race crime hoax, in, 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 in hate crime hoaxes, reaching out to them personally, making sure they're okay. Instead of asking questions, you know, Don Lemon is in this business. We used to call it journalism. And in journalism, when you see an account that does not hold water for more than 30 seconds, you're supposed to be asking questions. But Don Lemon says, listen, I'm not going to ask any of those questions because he is a black gay man. And I am also a black gay man. So I know what black gay men in the United States go through. And that means I was just reaching out to make sure he was OK. I wasn't going to ask him a single question. I was going to ask him like, so 2 a.m. on a Chicago street, MAGA country, really? Wasn't going to ask that. No, I was reaching out to him. Because why? It fit the narrative. Wait till you hear what Don Lemon had to say last night as Jussie Smollett was preparing for his own arrest. Wait until you hear that. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the sheets upon which you sleep. We are never going to agree on everything, but we can all agree that we could all use more sleep. Getting a great great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. You don't need a new expensive mattress or sleeping pills. You need to change your sheets. That's why you should check out Bowl & Branch. Everything Bull & Branch makes, from bedding to blankets, is made from pure 100% organic cotton. That means they start out super soft, they get even softer over time. You could buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to like $1,000 in the store. Bull & Branch sheets are only a couple of hundred bucks. Everyone who tries Bull and Brand Sheets loves them, which is why they have thousands of five-star reviews. I love my Bull and Brand Sheets so much that my wife and I actually tossed out all of our other sheets. That's how good they are. Even three U.S. presidents sleep on Bull and Brand Sheets. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund but you're not going to want to send them back. They are that comfortable. To get you started right now, my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code BEN. Go to bullandbranch.com today for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. That is bullandbranch, boll and branch.com, promo code BEN. Go check it out, bullandbranch.com, promo code BEN. So Don Lemon, very, very objective CNN reporter, super duper objective, not like Sean Hannity, doesn't pretend that he is, he doesn't say that he is an, an, an opinion journalist, he says he is an objective reporter and he is so good at the objective reporting that he never asked Jussie Smollett a single question because as a black gay man, black gay men who claim that they are victims of obvious hoaxes, we shouldn't ask them questions. So last night, Don Lemon goes on TV and he's still trying to defend. He, he's still trying to defend Jussie Smollett. I mean, it really is amazing. So he says it's not Jussie's fault he lost in the court of public opinion. Seriously, this is what Don Lemon is saying on primetime CNN. It's insane.
2: In the court of public opinion, Jussie has lost. He's right. lost the fight in the court of yeah. public opinion. Yeah. And that's where his battle is. Whether he, Legally, if he has to go, whatever he has to serve, if it's jail time, if he has to do probation, if he has to pay, whatever. But in the court of public opinion, it, it matters. It, it matters. And he lost yeah. that because of how, and, and not his fault, maybe people were... I don't know what they were saying to him. How maybe because of his representatives? I, who, who knows?
1: I don't
0: know. But it was handled poorly. World. Oh, that was the problem. It was handled poorly. Not that he lied to the entire nation, including the Chicago Police Department, about being beaten on a Chicago street in the middle of the night by two white men wearing MAGA caps. I mean, this is insane. Journalism everywhere. So much journalisming. My goodness, explosive journalisming from, from Don Lemon. That guy is a journalist. I mean, that's some serious journalism. He didn't just say that. He said the re- his real concern is that conservatives are going to eat Jussie's lunch. So I guess we're no longer worried about a lynch mob. Now we are worried about a lunch mob. So here is Don Lemon on CNN worried about the lunch mob that is going to eat Jussie's lunch. I mean, frankly, Jussie is going to be served prison commissary food. So I don't think anybody wants his lunch. But here is Don Lemon. This is playing out
2: every single moment yeah. in cable news. Sean Hannity is going to eat Jussie Smollett's lunch. Every single second, Tucker Carlson is going to eat Jesse Smollett's lunch. Every single second, president
1: of the, the United president States. of the United States That's is right. going
2: to eat his lunch. And who does the president of the United States watch every night? You. Cable news. Yeah, well, cable news.
0: <laughs> okay, cable news is going to eat him up. That's the real problem here. The problem is not that he hoaxed America. The problem is not that he lied about a huge swath of people. President Trump just tweeted out a few minutes ago, Jesse Smollett. What about MAGA and the tens of millions of Bibber? You insulted with your racist and dangerous comments. Hashtag MAGA. And the president is not wrong about this. The president, now, look, should the president be interjecting on these sorts of issues? No, the president should not be interjecting on these issues any more than President Obama should have been interjecting on Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown. But Trump is not wrong on the actual substance of his comments, which is that this was a massive slander against at least half the country. And not only that, it was Jesse Smollett attempting to rip open racial scabs, rip them off, in order so that he could benefit himself and so that he could push a narrative that is absolutely untrue. And Don Lemon's main concern is that people are going to be mean to Jussie Smollett. Oh, wow. What, what a rough life Jussie Smollett has and had. Again, if you want to show me evidence the guy's mentally ill, then we can talk about sympathy for Jussie Smollett. Unless you have any evidence he's mentally ill, then he is a piece of human debris. He is filth. He is filth. You racially hoax like this. And by the way, it is true that you, dis- that you end up degrading the the accounts of other hate crime survivors and degrading the other stories of crime victims. You end up denigrating the Chicago Police Department who are attempting to do their best in a city rife with crime. And you are willing to testify to send other people who are innocent to jail. Yeah, my sympathy level runs a little low for Jussie Smollett. Not Don Lemon's though, not Don Lemon's. He says that his big concern here is that black and gay people are most affected by the hoax. Of course, because Don Lemon is an intersectional leftist. That is all Don Lemon cares about. He's not a journalist. He's an intersectional opinion leftist on CNN, and he is portrayed as an objective journalist. And then the entire media goes nuts when CNN hires a partisan Republican as one of their political editors, one of their many political editors. Uh, yes, because CNN is a bastion of objectivity with Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo's brother, and Don Lemon on every night just spewing leftist nonsense. Here is Don Lemon doing just that last night.
2: To certain uh, groups of people, even if they were skeptical, they were like they said, oh, "I hope this is not true." Black folks, gay folks, of you know, course. people were like, "Oh my God, I of hope, he's, I hope he's." And, and you
1: know why? That. And you know why black folks and gay folks say that? Because they
2: are real victims of
1: well, because there are real victims um, of of homophobia and of racism, but also because unfortunately, we tend to all be painted with the same brush when one person does wrong. And that's why we always say that when something goes wrong is we hope the person is not black. We hope the yeah. person is not gay.
0: Yeah. And nobody is painting all black people or gay people as hoaxers because Jesse Smollett was a hoaxer. Nobody is doing that. And this is you can see the media already attempting to draw this narrative. So what they're going to do, they are already preparing to make the exact same mistake. You can see it happening in real time because here's what's going to happen a month from now. Somebody is going to do the same hoax. Somebody's going to do a very similar hoax, maybe not as egregiously botched as this one, maybe not as stupid as this one. Maybe he's not going to hire his personal trainers from the gym for $3,500 in a personalized check to go down to the local hardware store, purchase some rope, bleach, and red hats, and then go out in Chicago at 2 a.m. and claim that they're in MAGA country. Maybe they're not going to do that. But there will be somebody else who makes a false claim. And then when people on the right say, listen, you know, evidence, that might be like a good thing. Then the left will say, the only reason you're asking for evidence right now is because you're racist. It's because you look at Jussie Smollett's case and now you say that all black people or all gay people are hoaxing. And then maybe that one turns out to be a hoax. And the media say, well, you know, the real problem here, the real problem here is that now everyone's going to paint all future hate crime victims with the same brush. And then it sets it up for the next race crime hoaxer. The media are learning exactly the reverse of the lesson they ought to be learning from this. The lesson they ought to be learning from this is, hey, maybe we should have waited for evidence on the Jussie Smollett thing instead of just jumping on it with both feet and suggesting that it was inherently believable because we wanted to believe it. That's what happened here. The media jumped on this because the story was too good to check, and so they didn't check. This was a pure example of confirmation bias. And now the media are saying, well, you know what could happen? You know, the real problem with the Jussie Smollett hoax is not us, wasn't us jumping the gun, The real problem is that in the future, people may now ask for more evidence, and that would be them applying racism. Because if they ask for more evidence, the only reason they do that is because they think that all black and gay people are just like Jussie Smollett. So next time there's a hoaxer who does the exact same thing or something similar, people will ask for evidence. Don Lemon will call them racist for asking for evidence. It will come out that it was a hoax. And then Don Lemon will say, well, next time, if you ask for evidence, you're only doing that because you're racist. I mean, it's 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 so circular and so self-defeating and so bad for the country. And members of the media, I'm not even sure they know they're doing this. Legitimately, I don't even know that they, are sh- that they, they believe they're doing this. They believe they are being sympathetic. But what they're actually doing is setting themselves up for another fall. Because if you think the media learned a damn thing from this, you are dead wrong. The media did not learn one thing from this. No one in the media, no one is turning around and saying, hey, you know what, jump the gun. It's because I wanted to believe that it was true. And so I completely botched this one. Instead, you're getting all of the Democratic 2020 candidates stealth-deleting their own stuff. They're they're just going back and stealth-deleting their comments or leaving them up without any further comment. You're seeing Democratic candidates come out and say, you know what, guys? I need to wait for more information. Okay, so you didn't need to wait for more information when it was a sketchy account that was being reported by third-hand sources, but you do need to wait for more information after there is a formal legal arrest of Jussie Smollett. That's when you need to wait for more information. Unreal. I noticed, by the way, they're not seeing the same let's wait for information information take on this Coast Guard lieutenant story who's arrested in a terror plot. We're going to get to that in just one second. By the way, we shouldn't wait for more information. The guy's been arrested. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about losing your hair. Losing your hair sucks. You don't realize how much you care about it until you start losing it. I know because male pattern baldness runs in my family, and so I have a high value on my hair. That's why you should be using keeps the easiest and most affordable way to keep the hair that you have. These FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they are finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes now and just a buck a day, you're never going to have to worry about hair loss again. Getting started with Keeps is really easy. Sign up takes less than five minutes. You just answer a few questions and you snap some photos of your hair. A licensed physician will then review your information online and recommend the right treatment for you. It is then shipped right to your door every three months. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there, some of you probably have tried them before, but you've probably never gotten them for this price. Keeps is only 10 bucks to 35 bucks a month. Plus, right now you can get your first month for free, which is a hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash Ben. That is K E E P S dot com slash Ben. That is a free month of treatment at Keeps.com slash Ben Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow, don't lose your hair. I mean, go go do something about it. Keeps.com slash Ben, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Ben. All right, so you'll notice that the media are not nearly as skeptical about the, the Coast Guard lieutenant who was arrested yesterday. You're not seeing the 2020 candidates standing around going, you know, we really ought to wait for more information. You know why? Because you don't actually have to wait for more information once somebody has been arrested. Once somebody has been arrested, you can say, we'll wait to see the evidence in court, but there's a pretty good indicator that perhaps they did something wrong. At the very least, we have to take it a lot more seriously than a random account by a human. This story is truly awful. According to the Associated Press, a Coast Guard lieutenant who was arrested last week as a domestic terrorist who drafted an email discussing biological attacks and had what appeared to be a hit list that included prominent Democrats and media figures, prosecutors said in court papers. Christopher Paul Hassan is due to appear Thursday in federal court in Maryland after his arrest on gun and drug offenses. Prosecutors say those charges are the proverbial tip of the iceberg. Prosecutors say the defendant is a domestic terrorist bent on committing acts dangerous to human life that are intended to affect governmental conduct. Apparently, this piece of crap has espoused extremist views for years. And what they mean by this is that he's an actual neo-Nazi. Court papers detail a draft email in which he wrote that he was dreaming of a way to kill almost every last person on earth and pondering how he might be able to acquire anthrax and toxins to create botulism or a deadly influenza. So he sounds a delight. Also, he sounds he, he is a full on neo-Nazi. He sent himself a draft letter in September 2017 that he had written to a neo-Nazi leader identifying himself as a white nationalist for over 30 years and advocating for focused violence in order to establish a white homeland. Apparently, he read portions of a manifesto by the Norwegian mass murderer Anders Brevik, who is serving a 21 year sentence for killing 77 people in a 2011 rampage. By the way, it just shows that Norway is a crazy place. A 21-year sentence for killing 77 people is insane. Also, this this garbage human expressed admiration for Russia. He said, looking to Russia with hopeful eyes or any land that despises the West's liberalism. So he sounds like a delight. He searched the internet for the most liberal senators, senators, as well as searching, do senators have secret service protection? Are Supreme Court justices protected? His list was all Democrats and media members. The only quasi-Republican media member on the list is Joe Scarborough of MSNBC. Other prominent Democrats were Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Kristen Gillibrand, Warren, Booker, Harris. Basically every prominent Democrat in the country he wanted to kill. Apparently he was a chronic user of an opioid painkiller and uh, he was passing his drug test with the Coast Guard by using fake urine. So well done government screening its own employees. Once again, showing how competent everyone is. But beyond that, but beyond that, It is worthy of note that there are insane people out there and evil people. Forget insane because there's no evidence the guy's actually mentally ill. As I say with Jesse Smollett, put this guy away, throw away the key. I will note that the media coverage of this Coast Guard lieutenant has been relatively muted so far. The minute there's an email expressing support for President Trump, watch it blow up. That's exactly how this is going to work. Meanwhile, the other big news of the day is that CNN is reporting that the Mueller report is coming maybe as early as next week. According to CNN, Attorney General Bill Barr is preparing to announce as early as next week the completion of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation with plans for Barr to submit to Congress soon after a summary of Mueller's confidential report, according to people familiar with the plans. Now, we've been hearing this for months, but it has been widely expected for a while that February was going to be when this thing dropped. The preparations are the clearest indication yet that Mueller is nearly done with his almost two-year investigation. The precise timing of the announcement is indeed subject to change, says CNN. The scope and contours of what Barr will send to Congress remain unclear. Also unclear is how long it will take justice officials to prepare what will be submitted to lawmakers. It is unclear at this time how much of this will actually be publicly released. Under the special counsel regulations, Mueller has to submit a confidential report to the AG at the conclusion of his work. The rules do not require it to be shared with Congress or, by extension, the public. As Barr has made clear, the Justice Department generally guards against publicizing derogatory information about uncharged individuals. So herein lies the legal challenge. The American public deserve to see as much of this as possible because there are too many rumors floating out there about various members of the Trump administration having colluded with Russia and all the rest of this. And that means that putting the report out there as publicly as possible would be good, but the DOJ also has an obligation not to smear people without any intent to charge criminally or without the basis for a criminal charge. President Trump, for his part, he says, the release of the report is up to his attorney general, which is, of course, the correct answer. Here's the president saying that. Mr. President, right. should the Mueller report be released while
1: are abroad next week?
0: That'll be totally up to the new attorney general. He's a tremendous man, a tremendous uh, person who really respects this country and respects the Justice Department. So that'll be totally up to him. Now you can see the shift in goalposts taking place on the left. Former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, who's been an ardent advocate of the Russia collusion quasi-scandal, he said on Wednesday that he doesn't even know there's going to be a lot there in the report. That when this is all said and done, the Mueller report may be a giant disappointment. Is the Robert Mueller investigation enough to tell if if that's... (laughs) If that's the possible scenario that you're looking at and you think that what Andrew McCabe said is a possible scenario, is the Robert Mueller investigation and what's happening in Congress enough?
1: I think the the hope is that the Mueller investigation will clear the air on this issue once and for all. I'm really not sure it will and, and the investigation when completed could turn out to be quite anticlimactic and not draw a conclusion about that.
0: Man, would that give Democrats a sad. I mean, talk about taking the wind out of their sails. If after two years of this and people selling probably thousands of dollars in Robert Mueller gear, you know, keep calm and Robert Mueller and all the rest of this. If it turns out that the report is basically a big nothing, if the report turns out to be basically a rehash of what we already know with no criminal filings attached, or if it's not made public in the end. That's going to be a big disappointment for a lot of the folks in the Democratic Party. Now, that doesn't mean that all of the problems surrounding President Trump go away once the Mueller report is released. Next week, Michael Cohen is set to testify before the House. According to The New York Times, Michael Cohen, the president's former personal fixer, has agreed to testify in public next Wednesday before Congress about his work. Lawmakers said they would limit the scope of their questioning in deference to the special counsel. So they're only going to ask him about his go-between status for paying off, for example, Stormy Daniels, but they're not going to ask him about Trump-Russia collusion matters. The reason is they don't want to step on Robert Mueller's toes and they also don't want to bias people about what exactly was going on in that investigation. Mueller has asked that a lot of that material remain confidential. The committee's chairman indicated that after consultation with the DOJ and the House Intelligence Committee, Cohen would not be allowed to discuss matters related to Russia, including a proposed Trump Tower project in Moscow under scrutiny by the special counsel Robert Mueller. Now, that is really the big issue here. It really is. I mean, I think that the the greatest danger for President Trump in terms of a criminal indictment comes not from the Russia stuff, but from the New York district attorneys who are going after him over supposed campaign finance violations or the state of New York going after the, the Trump Foundation, for example. That's where most of his legal danger lies. But that is not where most of his public relations danger lies. If he ends up being prosecuted, for example, over campaign finance violations. It's unclear, first of all, that he can be prosecuted while in office, uh, probably unlikely, by DOJ regulations. But if people are talking about campaign finance violations, I think President Trump survives that pretty easily. If they're talking about Trump Foundation stuff, I don't think anybody really cares. I mean, for for better or worse, I think for worse, I think people don't care about this stuff anymore. If it's Russian collusion stuff and they actually have proof, then this is a big issue. I mean, what, what you can't do is build up to one ending of the movie and then switch over into, into an entirely different genre. If you build up to the end of an action movie and suddenly it breaks into music and into musical, people are just confused. So if you've built up for three years that Trump and Russia were in cahoots and that Trump is a tool of Vladimir Putin, and then the ending of the movie is he paid money to a, to a porn star, nobody is going to buy that switch. It just doesn't work that way. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk about why socialism seems to be making gains in the United States. And why Democrats are not being forced to answer for the crimes of Venezuela, for example, at least Democratic Socialists. We'll get to all that in just a second. But first, you need to go subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to DailyWire.com. It comes with so many goodies. The $99 a year subscription is even better because it's cheaper than nine ninety nine dollars a month. I promise you, do the math. You can do it yourself. It is cheaper. Also, not only is it cheaper, you get the very best in beverage vessels, the Leftist Tears Hot or Cold tum- tumbler. Look how magnificent it is. Also, what are the other benefits you get? Why, let me tell you. Two additional hours of this show every single day with great guests. Our guests today, Rafer Weigel from Fox 32. is the reporter who's been all over the Smollett story. And Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio, who will stop by to tell us about the Mueller report and Michael Cohen and all the rest. Also, this Monday, February 25th, Daily Wire backstage. That's happening. We'll be talking about everyone's favorite award show. Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring, me, Andrew Clavin, the execrable Michael Knowles, and Alicia Krauss will all be here talking culture, Hollywood, and of course taking your questions. We will even be wearing Oscar-appropriate attire. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask those questions so make sure to subscribe today. Also, do not forget, if you're not a Daily Wire subscriber, you are really missing out because our next Sunday special guest is the fantastic Larry Elder. You're, if you're a subscriber, you and only you can watch this episode a full day early. Not only that, all upcoming episodes of the Sunday special will be available on Saturday. So it becomes the Saturday special just for you. Don't worry, guys, I'm not violating Sabbath. That only works if you're a Daily Wire subscriber. What exactly are you waiting for? I've just offered you a bevy of benefits that you get. How hard do I have to sell this thing? My goodness, people. Go check it out over at dailywire.com. Please subscribe over at YouTube and iTunes as well. Leave us a, ra- a review. We always appreciate We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. <clears throat> So one of the beautiful things about being a democratic socialist is that you don't actually have to live up to your own ideals. According to Alana Goodman over at the Washington Examiner, Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat of New York, fresh face of the Democratic Party. So much freshness, so much insane faceness. She recently moved into a luxury apartment complex in Washington, D.C. that does not offer the affordable housing units that were a key plank in the New York Congresswoman's campaign platform. So sad. Here's the good news for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. In 50 years, she'll have three houses and she'll be running for president and she could win. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the path to power for Democrats, isn't it? You'd be useless for 50 years. You live off the fat of the land and then you run as a full-on socialist and you have a shot at the nomination. That's the Bernie Sanders way of doing things. And AOC looks to be following that path. Again, she can live wherever she wants. That's the beauty of America. But you don't get to criticize developers for not building affordable housing when you are living in the house built by those developers that doesn't have affordable housing. Ocasio-Cortez's new building, built by leading D.C. developer W.C. Smith, is part of a luxury complex whose owners specifically do not offer affordable units under Washington, D.C.'s Affordable Dwelling Units program. Isn't that sad? That's so sad, right? I mean, I feel like she's kind of swampy. Oh, no. Apparently, her new apartment complex is magnificent, It offers 100,000 square feet of amenities for its residents. These include two private massage rooms with state-of-the-art hydrotherapy beds, men's and women's saunas, a full-scale demonstration kitchen with a wood-fired pizza oven, a 25-meter indoor lap pool, a rooftop infinity pool with panoramic views of the capital, a Peloton cycling studio with over a dozen bikes, and a fireside lounge featuring a Steinway and Sons player piano. Also, a PGA grade golf simulation lounge with a wraparound screen and viewing bar that allows residents to play virtually at dozens of the world's most exclusive golf courses with the touch of a button. This place sounds really nice. For a socialist? Apartments in the building currently start at about $1,800 per month for a 440 square foot studio. Holy crap! $1,800 a month for a 440 square foot studio? What in the living? That's like a bedroom. 440 square foot studio for $1,800 a month? Is it made of gold? Is it like, is it a Trump apartment? It ranges up to $5,200 for a three bedroom. Get a mortgage. Be smart with your money, people. Wow, the average rent in Washington, D.C. is $1,300 for a one bedroom apartment and $1,550 for a two bedroom. So she's she's living the high life is Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. She's an American success story from bartender to swanky, Luxury apartment renting, Congresswoman in the blink of an eye, and all because we need socialism. We need socialism. And this is the beautiful thing about being a socialist. You never have to live up to your own standards. Speaking of which, Bernard McSanders, the leading Democratic contender in the race right now, Bernie Sanders, he was asked specifically about the situation in Venezuela, where it turns out. 1,800-square-foot luxury apartments with Peloton cycling classes and wood-fired pizza ovens are not available in Venezuela. They have wood-fired dog spits. That's the thing that's happening in Venezuela. Bernie Sanders, who lives off the fat of the American land while promoting democratic socialism for everyone else, he was asked specifically about whether Nicolas Maduro, the socialist evil dictator of Venezuela, should go, and here was his answer.
1: Do you consider Juan Guaido the legitimate president of Venezuela?
2: I think there are serious questions about the recent election. There are many people who feel it was a fraudulent election. Uh, And I think the United States has got to work with the international community uh, to make sure that there is a free and fair election uh, in Venezuela.
1: So is Nicolás Maduro a dictator, Senator, for you? And should he go?
2: I think clearly he has been very, very abusive. That is a decision of the Venezuelan people. So I think, Jorge, there's got to be a free and fair election.
0: Oh, so, so Nicholas Murray, I'm not going to call him a dictator. Of course, that's not a shock because this is the same guy who wouldn't call Daniel Ortega a dictator and who said that the USSR had wonderful youth programs. <laughs> so socialism, awesome for everyone except the people who have vacation houses in Vermont or luxury apartments in Washington, D.C. Well, in just a second, I'm going to get to what I think the real appeal of socialism is because it's really kind of fascinating. So there's an article by Jedediah Britton Purdy over at the New Republic. And it's called The Spiritual Case for Socialism. And this is the part where I think people actually miss the appeal of socialism. So right now, we live in a world where the appeal of socialism is income. We've got to fight income inequality. There are too many poor people and too many rich people, and we need to take the rich people and cut off their legs and feed them to the poor people. That is the only way to achieve true equality in the United States and around the world. that's, That's sort of the pitch for socialism. And Honestly, not a great pitch, because the fact is that all human prosperity over the last 200 years, all, not some, all human prosperity has been driven by free markets and voluntarism. All of it. Now, you may say that redistribution, piled atop the capitalist superstructure, has spread that wealth around a little bit. That argument can be made. I'm not sure that it is the best argument, because the fact is that prosperity still exists in nations that don't have these vast social welfare networks because they existed in the United States before there were vast social Welfare networks, the United States was the fastest growing, most powerful economy on planet Earth before the vast growth of the welfare state under FDR. But with all of that said. The fact is that free markets have created all growth in the history of man. If you look at the per capita income of human beings since eighteen hundred, it is basically a straight line up. It's not even it's not even arithmetic. It's exponential growth. It's not linear. It's exponential And that is because of capitalism and free markets. So it's hard to make the case that the reason that we need socialism is because we need more prosperity, because socialism is not about prosperity. What it is, is it is a spiritual, it is an actual spiritual phenomenon. And that's what this article at The New Republic says. They talk about a book by a person named Martin Haglin called This Life: Secular Faith and Spiritual Freedom. Hagelin puts forward a single sustained picture of the situation we all face, writes the columnist for the New Republic. To free ourselves spiritually, he proposes that we adopt what he calls secular faith, a commitment to our finite lives and fragile loves as the sole site of what matters, the setting for all the stakes of existence. Achieving material freedom is a more logistically complex project. The only social order compatible with spiritual freedom, says Hagelin, is democratic socialism. Only when return on investment ceases to be a measure of value, can the polity decide for itself what counts as valuable? What kind of activity should be rewarded and cultivated? In other words, the idea here is that there's an actual religious faith that is Marxism. That religious faith suggests there is no afterlife. There is no higher spiritual meaning. There is only your material existence on this plane. And so we ought to maximize your material existence on this plane with a minimum of work that you don't want to do. So here is, here's the basic idea. Basically, this life, this book, attempts to deepen the philosophical dimension and to anchor its com- commitments in a larger inquiry. What kind of political and economic order can do justice to our mortality, to the fact that, all, that our lives are all we have? The book suggests that we should discard the religious impulse. And we should, dis- we should separate the desire for meaning and community from doctrine and metaphysics. So he rips on Christianity. He rips on faith. He says that this faith is bad. What we really need is a brief lifetime of perilous caring. So this is the socialist appeal. The socialist appeal is the idea that we can make transformative decisions that free us from the necessity of doing things other people want. Socialism in and of itself is actually a deeply narcissistic philosophy. Capitalism is about the idea that I can do what I feel is of value, but if my idea of value does not match your idea of value, I'm not gonna earn very much money for it. Socialism is about the idea that I should be able to do whatever I want and you should pay me for it. And the society should pay me for it, broadly speaking. And that is what is likely to create spiritual freedom. It's this philosophy that led Nancy Pelosi to suggest a while back that what we needed to do was get rid of private healthcare insurance because it created what she called a job lock, that it locked you into a job you might not want to do. And she said, maybe you want to be an artist and you don't want to be an accountant. And the only reason you're an accountant is because you get your medical insurance from being an accountant. Well, if we provided you healthcare, then you could go back to your room in San Francisco, your studio apartment in San Francisco, and be a sculptor this is what socialism is attempting to promise you. Uh, socialism is attempting to promise you that we can rejigger the economic system so that your subjective perception of value is no longer, nece- it's no longer necessary for that subjective version of value to match up with anybody else's version of what value represents. Haglin says our economy keeps its participants locked in the realm of necessity for much of their lives, draining away their time in unfree activity. By unfree, he means things you don't want to do. Now, we in the real world like to think of things we want to do, do not want to do as responsibilities. And if you wanna be happy in your job, what you have to do is actually match up three things, things that you wanna do, things that other people will pay you to do, and things that you find meaningful. If you can find those three things, you will be happy in your job. But one of those components is doing something that someone else finds valuable. This is why I have described capitalism as forced altruism, and I've described socialism as essentially narcissism. Hagelin basically makes this clear. He says, in the realm of necessity, there is very little opportunity to spend our lives on the things we care for, to devote ourselves to what we think most worthwhile. Economic life may be a a tapestry of choices, but as long as it directs its participants toward goals they do not believe truly worthwhile, a life of such choice is a grotesque of freedom. So this is, so so Marxism in the spiritual case focuses on two things. One, there's no afterlife and no spiritual meaning apart from your economic life. And two, if your economic life is all you have, then economic freedom is you exercising the freedom to do whatever you want without consequences. That is the spiritual draw of Marxism. And this is why Marxism must be directed against Judeo-Christian values. Because Judeo-Christian values say, listen, maybe you're not happy in your job. Maybe your job isn't what provides you total meaning every day. You know what should provide you total meaning? What should provide you total meaning is obeying the morality of a God that matters and making life better for those around you and taking responsibility for your family and broadening your, and deepening your, your associations with your religious community. Serving God properly is the purpose of religious life. This is why non-religious society tends to fall into socialism, because if everything that matters is in the here and the now and the materialistic, then if this is all we get, if all we care, not not even afterlife-wise, if all that matters is our economic performance, if that's what we see happiness as, then what we really should be doing is focusing every day on doing what it is that we want, even if it means making mud pies, and then we should force other people to pay us for that. And if we can abstract the obligations of other people to pay us for work they don't want to society at large, if we don't have to look at our neighbor and say, pay me five bucks for making this crappy sculpture, if instead we can say society makes it possible for all this to happen, if we can magically think like that, if we can think away the problem of going broke on other people's money, then socialism sounds pretty good. This is the draw of socialism. The draw of socialism is a materialistic philosophy that suggests that true freedom lies in not being held to account for the decisions that you make and not having to match up your own subjective perceptions of value with somebody else's ideas of value. And you know what that ends in? It ends in force. Because in the end, if you cannot be paid for the stupid things that you are doing by somebody else, you're going to have to force that person to do something that they don't want to do. Every socialist system inevitably ends in a certain level of force. The more socialism, the more force. And that is why Venezuelans are eating dogs and fleeing the country. Because somebody has to be forced to pay for this bleep show. Okay, in just a second, we'll get some things I like and some things that I hate. So, things that I like. I love this so much. I love it so, so, so much. Eric Swalwell. This guy is one of the people running for president. And he tweeted out yesterday, and it is just quite wonderful. He tweeted out a picture of himself in the snow in New York City. And he tweeted, it's snowing in New York. I need coffee. The closest cafe is inside Trump Tower. This is me walking to an alternative. And the hero music rises. Dun, 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 dun. Just incredible. Eric Swalwell. What? What? You know, they say that heroism is dead. 70 years ago, young men stormed the beaches of Normandy at risk of their own lives. Many of them died in the attempt to free the world of Nazism and fascism. Today, Eric Swalwell walks half a block to a different coffee shop so that he doesn't have to participate in doing business with an independent contractor working inside Trump Tower who pays rent to Donald Trump. Heroism is not dead, my friends. Not all heroes wear capes. And Eric Swalwell is just another indicator that you, today, you can be the hero. We all have the hero living inside of us. And Eric Swalwell is proof of that each and every day. What an amazing, amazing human being Eric Swalwell is. I mean, we 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 should be, we should praise that guy we should make that guy president. I mean, why the hell not? And meanwhile, some things that I hate. So a couple of things that I hate today. Eugene Robinson has a piece over at the Washington Post called, Yes, the Green New Deal is audacious, but we have no choice but to think big. Now, as I've said on this program before, I have a basic rule. If somebody says an idea is audacious, that is code word for stupid but ambitious. Audacious means stupid but ambitious. It never means just ambitious or realistic but ambitious. It means stupid and ambitious. It means unrealistic and ambitious. So you say, I have an idea. All the world's people will be fed with unicorn crap. Audacious idea, Mr. Shapiro. Audacious. So Eugene Robinson says that this is a very audacious idea. Super audacious. Who's afraid of the Green New Deal? Says Eugene Robinson. I'm not. Well, all right. It's ambitious, aspirational, improbable, impractical. Almost as audacious as putting a man on the moon. That wasn't improbable or impractical. It was, ambi- it was ambitious and aspirational. You know how we know that it wasn't impractical? Because we did it with like a slide rule. We used to be able to think big. Let's do it again. I love this idea that thinking big is self-justifying. I had a big idea today. I decided to run in front of a truck. It was a big idea. It was very important to my life. A life-changing idea, you might say. I decided I was going to run in front of a moving truck. Thinking big. You too can think big in America. Since the 14-page resolution was introduced in Congress last week by Senator Ed Markey and Representative AOC, so fresh, so face, critics have been falling over themselves to denounce the Green New Deal's policies as prohibitively expensive, totally unworkable, or somehow Venezuelan. If these opponents would stop shouting long enough to actually read the document, they'd see that it's not a compendium of concrete policies at all, but rather a set of goals. Yeah, I've read it. And the goals are unrealistic and quite stupid because when you propose things that are utterly unrealistic, like let's harness the power of the sun. And if we harness the power of the sun, then we can power everybody's life at an income level twice what we normally do. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? If we can find an alien source of energy that provides us cold fusion, then we can fix the world thinking big, audacious, a set of goals. He says they are the right goals. The Green New Deal seeks to outline a national project for our time, not just a response to a grave environmental threat, but a framework for enhanced growth, opportunity, and fairness. The laudable aim is to play offense, not defense. I mean, it's like the guy just stacked up cliches. In in the movie Bull Durham, which I have famously said is an overrated film, but in the movie Bull Durham, there's a great scene where Kevin Costner is trying to inform Tim Robbins about how exactly he needs to act when he gets to the major leagues in his interviews. He needs to just spit cliches. You know, we take it one day at a time. I'm doing my best out there. The team comes first. That is this column, except with environmentalism. The laudable aim is to play offense, not defense, in the fight to limit climate change. Well, aren't you inevitably playing defense when you are fighting against an encroaching, looming disaster? He says, we are going to have to wage that battle one way or another. Why not do it on our terms before Miami slips underwater and the yet unburned parts of California go up in flames? I love this idea that Miami is going to be underwater like in the next two years. Does it occur to people that over time, human beings are massively capable of adaptation? That if you give somebody 100 years and you tell them, by the way, your house is going to be underwater in 100 years, what are you going to do about it? That maybe they might start making gradual plans to move away from the house that will be underwater in 100 years. The best historical analogy, I love this one. The best historical analogy is not the New Deal, but World War II. Don't stop Pluto; He's already rolling, guys. When mobilization of the nation's vast productive capacity not only defeated Germany and Japan, but also generated unprecedented domestic economic growth, hugely expanding the middle class. World War II did not generate unprecedented domestic economic growth. After World War II is when the economic growth happens. When you mobilize every military age male, put them in barracks and feed them rations for four years, it turns out that that is not economic growth. War does not create economic growth. This is a basic economic fallacy. If war created economic growth, then we would be involved in massive wars, all the time. We are not. Believe it or not, even Afghanistan and Iraq, were not massive wars by any serious measure. Once again, says Eugene Robinson, the planet faces a dire threat. Once again, the United States can help lead the world to victory. Okay, well, I have a proposal. I have a proposal. You know what's actually easier than getting rid of all carbon fuels and airplanes? You know what's actually easier than slaughtering all the farting cows? We should invade China and India. We should invade China and India because the United States is the world's number one reducer of carbon emissions. You know who continues to ramp up their emissions? India and China. So if you want to liken this to World War II, man, let's do this thing. You want to liken this to World War II? Say this is an emergency so grave that we have to mobilize the entire American population? Guess what? We could bring our carbon emissions down to zero, down to zero. And you know what that would do to the global climate, according to the IPCC? It would lower it by something like 0.15 degrees Celsius over the course of the next century. In other words, it would do nearly nothing. You know what we would need to do? We need to bomb all the coal-fired plants in India and China. So let's do this thing. I want to see sufficient commitment from the left. Because, I mean, after all, this is a world-changing thing we're talking about here, right? I mean, this is something that we have to stop right now in its tracks. We don't have time. It's an emergency. Well, if it's an emergency, and if all of us throwing away our cars wouldn't actually stop climate change, and if it really is an emergency, if this is the day after tomorrow, we're all going to die, if that's the case... Then why, what are you waiting for? The real offenders here are China and India, and I think it's time that we discuss. Let's put the mili- all options around the table. You guys are talking about World War II, not me. You're saying this is like World War II. You know what we did in World War II? We bombed the living bleep out of pretty much everybody. It was really ugly. <laughs> we saved the world from Nazism. So if we have to, if we're going to treat this like it's Nazism, then why not? Let's show show your commitment, left. Show your commitment. Let's invade China and India. Let's do this. Th- I mean, come on. Let's do it for the environment. Let's do it for the panda bears. Let's do this to make sure that the permafrost up in Alaska staves permanently, stays permanently frosted. Let's do this. I love this. It's too expensive, naysayers complains, as Eugene Robinson. They point to a clause in the resolution that calls for upgrading all existing buildings in the United States to make them more energy efficient. That sounds absurd until you remember the massive blackout drills that took place across the country during World War II. People participated. It was their patriotic duty. You know what's harder, actually, than, like, turning off your lights for an hour every night? Retrofitting or tearing down every building in the United States. It's, and, and this is the best part. He says, acting alone would be pointless, skeptics say. No, not skeptics. The IPCC. Not skeptics. People who believe in all this stuff. Indeed, China is by now... The, by far the world's biggest carbon emitter, with the United States second and India a fast-rising third. What would be the point of going to great efforts to reduce U.S. emissions while others just burn more coal? Think about it, though. We are, after all, whenever people say think about it, always a good indicator that what comes next is really dumb. Right? It's, you know, you say that you should not actually eat that ceramic jar. You say you shouldn't eat it. But think about it. Think about my proposal. Just, just take a second. I want you to think. Think about it. We are, after all, the second biggest emitter, which means that any substantial reduction would indeed have measurable impact. It is measurable. I just told you what the measurement is. 0.185 degrees Celsius over the next century. Now you give me your stat because mine came from the IPCC dolt Also, officials in China and India, unlike those in the Trump administration, understand and accept the conclusions of climate scientists. What? Okay, if you say that you understand and accept the conclusions of climate scientists, and then you're like, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm just going to burn this coal right here, like right over here. Like right next to me, I've got a pile of coal. I just set it on fire, man. But I accept the conclusions of climate scientists. That makes me better than you. You don't accept all the conclusions of the clients of climate scientists, but you're not admitting. You know what makes me better than you? I accept those conclusions. Now watch. I'm going to light this pile of coal on fire. <laughs> <laughs> China may be adding coal-fired power plants, but it is also making massive investments in clean energy. Do you really want Beijing to lead the way into the future? Shouldn't it be Washington? Oh, man, the cliches. They, they may be adding coal-fired power plants, but they're making massive investments in clean energy. You know why? Because they're a communist country. They can afford to do both by starving their own citizens. It's fine. Also, the first half of the sentence would be the one that matters. They are adding coal-fired power plants. If you invest in a lot of green energy, but at the same time you are investing in the carbon-emitting coal plants, You are part of the. I love this. He's justifying China so that he can claim that the United States ought to shut down all carbon emissions, which would have virtually no measurable impact on the climate over the next century. Again, I return to my initial assessment. Eugene Robinson is not sufficiently committed to stopping climate change, and neither is anyone else advocating for the Green New Deal. If they were truly committed, if they really believe that this is a world beating World War II problem, it's time. We have to invade China and India. We have no choice. The world is warming. The Earth has a fever. And it's time for us to do something about it. All right, so a little bit later on, we have two more hours of Ben Shapiro show goodness coming up. But you got to be a Daily Wire member. Go check it out right now. Become a subscriber. So much goodness I didn't get to get to in today's show. Go check that out. We'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. I'm
2: Andrew Claven, the host of The Andrew Claven Show. Jesse Smollett is under arrest and Donald Trump is not. The left cannot understand what went wrong. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Klavan Show. I'm Andrew Clavin.
0: We'll get to more on this in just one second. First.